Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day team, welcome again to Profitable Farmer. I hope this finds you and your family incredible, incredibly well. In this podcast, a slightly different format. A few weeks ago, I was invited to be interviewed on a panel with Isabel Knight from Proactive. Again, I um, spoke with Isabel in a prior podcast and we spoke about or we were interviewed around the difference between succession and just good business practice and that how good business practice can genuinely help us achieve a more effective and meaningful succession outcome. Um, The interview, I think, was compelling. The questions asked of us were outstanding. And so I'm delighted to share on Pujanuk's consent that interview with you. I think it rounds out the other succession podcast interviews that I've done really strongly, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Just as a shout-out to Pujanuk, as a leader in the um, Merino breeding and stud game, um, they continue to pioneer, they continue to push the boundaries, and they continue to lead the charge and bring genuine best practice to their clients across Australia on all things sheep breeding, um, ram selection and um, animal husbandry in the sheep enterprise space. A shout-out to Pujanuk and thank you for including Isabel and I in your recent client conference. Um, For anyone interested in learning more, go to the Pujanuk website and just have a look at what they're doing. Um, It is first class and leading edge. Enjoy this interview with Isabel and I and look forward to your feedback. Thank you and bye for now. It's time now um, before, this is our last session, then we're going to go into lunch, but to take us through for the next hour, we've got a really, really important topic um, to discuss and it's one which has the power to impact so significantly and I was going to say on farm businesses, but it's more than that, on, on people as well, so, so significantly. Um, so we're talking succession planning with um, two of the best in the business for the next hour. And I can feel that we're going to learn some, some great lessons and, and hopefully equip ourselves with a few more tools to be able to go back and, um, and keep that process rolling. So again, if you're watching online, please get those questions into the Q&A. We really want to encourage an interactive discussion after our 45-minute chat, uh, and we want you online to, um, to feel like you're included and can, and can ask those questions, and the same for you all in the shed here as well. So let's meet our panellists, um, who very quietly got into their seats. Thank you. That was a fabulous job. Um, firstly, the owner and director of Proactive, Isabel Knight, is a fa- family farm succession planning specialist. Uh, Decades of experience, she holds degrees in business law and psychology and is trained in counselling and mediation. And uh, Isabel's passion is to create opportunities for the next generation in agriculture by addressing the high cost of a lack of succession planning to farming, families, communities and the industry. Isabel, we really do appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. 
and Managing Director of the Farm Owners Academy, Jeremy Hutchings, has over 20 years of business coaching and consulting experience uh, with expertise in strategy, growth, team, operational and financial performance. Jeremy specialises in farm performance analysis and benchmarking, providing invaluable insights to help farmers improve their operations. Perfect bloke to be on the panel. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to have you here. Thank you. Right, Isabel, we're going to start with you with a bit of a broad picture sort of start to the chat to talk about what a well laid out succession planning can do for a farming operation. I know that's a very broad question, but, but set the scene for us. I think for farming families to um, begin a process like this, of course, it's quite confronting. So it takes preparation before effective decisions are made. So in preparing for succession planning, obviously it's putting platforms in place around business management that then will support effective decision making. And that starts early in a business long before children are on the ground, when people are starting to think about the longevity of their businesses, the future of their families. They're starting to systemise, they're starting to professionalise, they're starting to put communication platforms in place and then building on that as time marches forward so that as critical points arrive in the life of a business and in the family cycle, the family businesses and the family members themselves are actually capable of stepping into the conversations without having to try to do everything at once. So it's, it's about taking the business and the people on a journey so that the journey ends up less confronting and much easier than those who do nothing and then suddenly, for some reason or, or another, are forced into those difficult chairs. Jeremy, to you, how, how much or how significantly can a well-executed farm succession process contribute to actual farm performance itself as a unit? David, I think there's absolutely no doubt that an aligned and cohesive family and farm team lends to stronger business performance and certainly over generations. But I actually think, to your point, Isabel, the flip of that is as important. I actually think good business management and good business acumen lends to a far better succession outcome. And I think to your point, Isabel, getting the business fundamentals right, and, and I'm not and we're not at Farm Owners Academy experts in succession. We call on Isabel and other um, specialists like that on the succession piece. But what we see time and again that farming families that go through the business development journey and the business learning journey and get some of those things that Isabel just mentioned in place. I think then succession can go from being the elephant um, where everything's just thrown into the succession pot back to being what it should be, which is just the transfer, the transaction that transfers an asset from one generation to the next. I think so often we put all of the business management issues and all of the relationship issues and all of the communication issues into the succession pot, which makes it bigger than I think it should be. Let's draw a few threads together just from those first two questions and answers then. Isabel, with you, why does succession cause so many issues for farming families? As I say, we've had a few threads here. Bring it together for us. I think traditionally farmers haven't been 
educated in professionalising their businesses to the extent that they are being now. I think also that we have done it in privacy in past generations and there have been some terrible war stories and so that has a terrible impact on how people feel even just saying the word, let alone contemplating it. I also think that we've got um, uh, a lot of people struggling with the fact that particularly of late our asset values have increased to such an extent that we can't even begin to think how we could satisfy one person in our family, ourselves, let alone all of the members of our family. And so the mere thought of even going down that rabbit burrow and trying to flesh that out without causing an absolute fight is so confronting that people um, just put it off and hope to goodness they just can leave it for another day. Jeremy, what do you see as some of those those main factors that are driving succession outcomes, whatever they may be, on farm? So, again, to Isabel's point, I think in agriculture we're technically trained and so much of our training in our backgrounds are how to grow good crops and, and grow good animals and, and a lot of the focus is on being technically proficient. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's worthwhile just thinking, you know, to all of our farmers in this event, you know, where did I learn business? Um, I know in my ag degree and even in banking and um, beyond, then in farm consulting, I'd never learned how to structure, grow and lead the growth of a successful company. Um, that stuff's just not taught. Um, I think Farm Owners Academy is finding a place in our industry now because we are teaching entrepreneurship to farming families and supporting them through coaching and through education on a business learning journey. Um, there is a set process to growing a business and then getting it to a point where it's established enough that the succession conversation can happen constructively. Um, as Isabel said, it's hard to have that conversation if you don't have some fundamental business components in place. So if you don't have communication structures, if you're not in control of your numbers, if your plan is in your head and not on paper and family members aren't aligned to the, the business development plan um, and there aren't policies and protocols and good systems in place, um, if there isn't a career path map for that younger generation and, um, you know, a performance review process perhaps that would probably be applied to a employee on a farm and that's not applied to you know the children coming through that's just good business practice um, and i think where farms are missing those things then the likelihood of a good succession outcome becomes less likely so you've alluded to it but how does agriculture compare what's everyone else doing how, how does agriculture compare to other industries in in these regards jeremy I find this really interesting. And if we think about an accounting firm or a law firm or a financial planning business or a physiotherapy practice or an engineering business, um, succession's happening all the time in those businesses. There might be two senior partners of an accounting firm and sure, they're not husband and wife or brother and sister, but they might 
give away equity in that business to the next generation coming through who are the, the up-and-coming um, proficient junior accountants or lawyers. Um, and there's a career path mapped for them. So there's a lot that we can learn from how business transition is achieved outside of agriculture, and it's just common practice. Um, I think the difference is that there's the asset in agriculture and then there's the business that sits on top of that asset. Um, so the fundamentals are unique and different, absolutely, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from other industries. And the good businesses in those industries outside agriculture that do it well are the ones that absolutely stand the test of time. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into some tools and start at the very beginning of the process, Isabel. Where should it start, do you think? Well, it does start with anyone who's in business, when they start in business, because it is actually doing all of, you know, back to what Jeremy's saying, it's actually about having some good business practices and Im implementing those fundamentals into the business so that it's supporting our decision-making along the way. So that is absolutely the starting process and having a communication strategy in place that actually works. So it's, that's actually what has been relatively poorly done in Australian agriculture is actually prioritising how we communicate inside our teams. So it's a struggle sometimes in family businesses just to get people to prioritise having a weekly meeting for half an hour. So then how on earth, if you can't do that, how on earth are you going to have conversations that are really difficult about the things that are associated with transition of the management and then the leadership and then the assets ultimately in a family? So the, the starting point is that. It's, it's really starting to, to put those things in place and taking then as we have children, taking whether they're choosing or not to be farmers, they are ultimately stakeholders because if we died tomorrow, they would inherit something, presumably. So they also need to be taken on that journey and they need to become accustomed to communicating in that fashion so that they're not communicating inappropriately in other forums. And that, and that does happen, you know, you have family events and people have one too many drinks and the next thing someone says something they wish they never said and they couldn't take it back. It's because they often haven't had a forum to actually get off their chests and talk about in, an, in a constructive way some of the things that might be bothering them. So the biggest number one blockage initially then, what, what's the, the, the big thing to look out for at the start? From whose perspective? anyone who's involved or should be involved in succession planning in Australian agriculture, when you look at the at any trends that you see around that process and where people go, the, the biggest hurdle for us to get through at the very start of this process, the thing that stopped us doing it effectively or even starting it was, what was it? What They're was the frightened. People are frightened. That's the greatest blockage to doing it. Is that answering? So it, they're, they're quite frightened because of the opening up the hornet's nest and letting something out that they can't manage. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a great fear. And symptomatic of that is businesses underperforming, people not being appointed, the right people not in the right positions and roles in families, incumbent business managers and owners staying there too long, in that space, I don't mean they should move off farm, but often they're still in, they're still the ones managing everything for too long. So then the risk factors associated with any business um, 
are greater because if we haven't addressed succession. So succession is truly about business continuity. Mm. And if we don't do what we need to do to ensure continuity, if something suddenly happened to somebody and we can't say that that business is going to be okay and it won't take a massive hit, then we probably haven't done what we need to do. And I'm not saying it's easy. I stood beside a doctor this morning in Wagga who they're having a conference in Wagga and they've brought all these medicos from all over Australia and and he, this guy, I had my name tag on, he said he assumed I was one of them. And so we got talking and he said, oh, succession. He said, that's a massive problem for us too. And I said, why is it a problem for you? And he said, well, no one wants to share the pie. They just want to have the pie till the day they put down the tools and then they hope someone will just step in. I thought, well, is that any different to a farmer? Like are we, are we any different? We, we're having to have these conversations. We're having to prepare our families and ourselves and our businesses and we can't do that when we're over it and we're tired and we've had enough. We've got to start doing that when we've got the energy to do it and when we can be a bit creative about how we do it. And oh, using that surgeon sorry. example, and that's perfect, isn't it? His how name many, was Jeremy, by the way. It was. His name was Jeremy. <laughs> but um, they work their tail off until they want to retire and then they try and find another doctor to sell their business, to buy their business, and it's not worth anything. No. Um, and so they don't have a succession because they haven't made it a priority early and they haven't got the good business practice in that makes it a going concern that sees, sees that client list and that business continue in the next generation. So I think there is a business solution to our succession problem that we're neglecting. And I'm, well, I want to cover off on that with you in a moment, Jeremy, just to circle back quickly, Isabel, to you. I'm really curious about this idea of effective communication and the mindset that you might need to be in to go into a good succession experience there's one thing is to communicate about what you want but what about the mindset of understanding and being open to what other people want well absolutely you have to be to effectively communicate it you know it's not a communication if it's one way so we actually do need to have the capacity to understand the perspectives of others and not just it, it's truly understand. It's really about being in their shoes and being able to describe what their feelings are, their perspectives are and their needs are in relation to this. And if we can't do that, then we aren't doing the work that we need to do. And a lot of people need to work on themselves in order to have the capability, even to have the privilege to sit at those tables. And so many people don't value that. They'll go off and do some training on how to use chemicals and calibrating their machinery and blah, 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 blah. But if they were asked to go and do some work on themselves to ensure that when they sit around a table to begin a process, then most people wouldn't willingly do that. So that communication, the message is it's learnt. It's not, you can't just expect that people are going to communicate effectively because they've got a mouth. It just isn't how it works. And I think that needs to be well understood, as simplistic as that comes across. Jeremy, your comment, I wasn't going to ask, I was going to move on to the, the business bit with you, but I, I think the communication point is a very important one. What, what's your take there? Lead, uh, succession is a leadership challenge. <laughs> I think, and 
Now, to your point, Isabel, leadership's not something that we necessarily learn in our day job as farmers. And um, I think you think of CEOs of big companies, they've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in their own development so that they've earned the right to be in that position, leading that team and that company to its next stage of growth, whatever that is. And I think um, that's just something that hasn't been made priority um, to the degree that perhaps it could be. We've got to acknowledge that farms are really complex businesses and what we run in agriculture, they're, they're significant projects. Um, so I think part of it is also us taking ourselves seriously, that we are CEOs of growth companies and that the businesses we run are important and successful. And sometimes as business owners, um, we're the thing holding our business back. And I think that leadership training and learning that skill of communication is just so important in the lead up to giving succession its best chance. Thank you. Um, let's move on to the fact, Jeremy, that you work with farm businesses a lot around governance, and you've mentioned that that piece a couple of times. What are the basic building blocks that businesses should have in place there? So I might even put it as a question. I mean, just think of your your farm businesses. Out of ten, how would you rate the quality of your strategic plan? Is it documented? And are the key people in your business aligned to it and enrolled in it? And when we ask that question of, of people coming into our various programs, about less than 10% of the room put their hand up. Um, and so for me, the starting point is focusing in on a, a, a true and thorough assessment of where we're at and then getting down a really concise um, strong, well-articulated and actionable strategic plan, I think is a great, great, that's absolutely one of the pillars. And you know the, the strategic plans, there are, there are lots of different types and there's the ones that we've written that are 50 pages long that were for the bank four years ago that are collecting dust. They're not what we need. I think a two or three page really tight and focused strategic plan is really important. But what's really important is, is the process of establishing that so that the key members of the family and the team are committed to it and on board with it. Um, no two people with the plan, I and mean, we've all got plans for what we want to do with our farms, but I guarantee that if it's in your head, no one else can help you make it happen. And no two minds will have the same thoughts around that plan until it's on paper. Um, another key pillar is knowing your numbers and having real clarity around your financial position now and your ability to um, create a really high-performing business into the future. So projections and benchmarks around current reality, which we can touch on. Um, the third pillar for me is the communication framework. You know, if you're chatting all the time and on the phone and um, lots of operational chat but no real meaningful management conversation. I think that's a problem. So we have our members having ideally two days off farm annually to review and reset and check the strategic plan, refine it and set down the roadmap for the next 12 months and then a day or half a day together quarterly planning. And we're big advocates for planning our businesses in quarters once you've got your strategic plan in place. 
But then what monthly needs, what monthly meetings need to happen and what weekly and daily meetings need to happen so that we can move from reactive in our businesses to proactive. And if you get that cascade of communication happening, I think it deals with 90% of the issues that need to be dealt with and that then makes way for a more meaningful succession conversation. So they're probably the three key pillars. Um, If there was one more, it would be sort of structure. So what is the org chart, the team structure? What are the roles and are they clearly defined? What's the development pathway for the individuals within that org structure? And what are the expectations of people employed or family if they're going to play as part of that team? So just list those again, just one, two, three, four. So strategic plan, communication rhythm, financial strength or financial understanding, and then um, team structure. Yep. So all of this, though, I might have it wrong, but this is all underpinned by knowing your numbers. Is that like a really solid, strong understanding of where you're at? I think, yeah, so absolutely. To set down a meaningful strategic plan, it starts with a really strong knowing of your numbers. So, yeah, we could reorder those so that, you know, that financial knowing um, comes first and then the strategic plan and then those other things can can come out. But um, we ask a similar question of people coming into our programs who here has a, be- a meaningful benchmark or analyses the performance of their farms. And again, less than 10% of the industry seem to do that consistently and, and strongly. Um, about and that the doesn't sun- necessarily mean against others. Not no, That's yes, exactly. against yourself. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the, I'd love to talk more about what benchmarking is because I think that, can't, that is misunderstood. But then once we've got a, bud, a benchmark, um, you know, about 10% of the industry seems to set down a meaningful budget and then track their performance against that budget. Um, so that financial management practice is, for me, really important. And yeah, to your point, benchmarking is just a process of analysing the strength and the resilience of the business model that you operate and how it's stacked up in the last 12 months or the last three or four seasons. Um, what's important is that it's not about comparing yourself to anyone else. It's absolutely looking at how you performed three years ago and making sure that the key performance metrics for your business are stronger today than they were. Um, so, yeah, it's more, way more important to compare yourself to where you were and improvement's the key than it is to compare necessarily to others. So, Isabel, not uh, if a farming operation wasn't quite as across some of these building blocks or metrics that Jeremy's been discussing as, as potentially they could be, how much of an impact do you see that having in this succession process? Well, in all succession processes that are holistic and, and inclusive of all family members, by definition, not everyone is going to be across those numbers. So as a good part of preparing, an important part of preparing, is that those numbers are well prepared and simple so that they can actually be used to educate and inform everyone, so that everyone has a baseline of understanding of what this actually looks like, so that as decisions are being contemplated and made, then they are made in the context of knowing facts and reality. And I think that 
those people who are scared to show their off-farm family members what their financial metrics look like are doing that because they're frightened that suddenly they're going to make a big grab for more instead of actually thinking, well, actually, they may support this process and enhance this process in a much more constructive fashion if they are well-informed rather than making assumptions, which, of course, they will be doing. And possibly their assumptions are wildly out of context, and they often are. So... So that can be like a, a financial dashboard of some description showing sort of key indicators. And that's metrics. right. Is that, and yep. That's right, exactly, and taking them through an education process. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. It actually puts a bit of accountability into the process as well because, you know, it's um, important that it is factual. <laughs> Perfect. Were you about to say something or...? Otherwise, so I've got a question for a you. A dashboard, absolutely. And we, we look at 17 key ratios, that it's a traffic light colour-coded, strong, average, weak on one page. And if you can look at that over four or five years, I think what it also does is gives the off-farm parties to a succession real appreciation for just how challenging this project is because mm. it'll show the good times and the bad times. And I think... Not only um, will they become aware, but they might start to empathise and be really respectful that um, it's not all beer and skittles all of the time. And we can't make decisions based on a year. The best we can do is averages, and so we do need to spread. We do that. We put together a string of years so that we can actually look at that and understand what those highs and those lows are about, mm. and then where any uplift may sit. Because normally those who are in the business, whether it's on paper or in their guts, they actually can say, if I had that time again, what I learnt was this and what we would do is that. The upside here is potentially this. And sometimes the upside will be executed by the next generation. So they are absolutely the gift to Australian agriculture because they will doggedly apply themselves to achieving those outcomes like everyone else did when their hair wasn't grey. So it's really important to um, to think about it in that context. So Jeremy's talking about managing this beast day in, day out. I'm talking about when it comes to a whole family, who are not all farmers necessarily, actually sitting down as a group and being well-informed and making good decisions for the future generations of this family, whether they be farmers, all of them or not. Yeah, there are a, a lot of factors at play and a lot of information. So that's why I'm super glad that we are recording everything so everyone can go back and, and watch again to, to get the most out of the information that we're delivering. Because, Jeremy, I, I wanted to come back to you with your, your four key pillars that you had. There's obviously structures then, other structures that sit below that that need to be built out. Um, could you give us some idea, a bit of a, a bird's eye view of what that might look like? Do you mean more operational? I do. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think about business, if you think about a, a, a glass of water or a vessel of water, there's without, without the glass, what I've got's a mess. And what most business owners are doing, because they haven't set the context for how they want their business to operate, is we're spending a lot of time reactively containing the mess. Now, that can be in operations, it can be in relationships with team or other things. But So those four pillars, I think, set the context for how 
we operate and how we get on. We know our roles, we're in our structure, we've got a plan, we understand the key measures that drive performance. So that gets the context right. When we get into the content, um, I think systemizing operations and having a set of ground rules, um, clear expectations, and then well-defined standards of, as part of those systems and processes are key to giving all members of your team, family and employed, certainty in their roles. Um, so that's why this isn't a moment in time thing. This is a, it can take three or five or six years, I think, to build a sustainable company that, that is well set up to be able to grow predictably and sustainably through generations. It's not a quick fix. And that's where getting those rules, expectations, standards, policies, procedures, certainly not talking about the complex one of the collect dust in the cupboard, but just really clear, concise, usable processes that support people having certainty in their roles, I think is the next part of that puzzle. So you mentioned org charts there. Did you mention job descriptions as well? Yeah, that's part of it. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And I think, I think it's really healthy that the next generation come into a business um, no differently to how an employee would. As a rouse about jackaroo, junior farmhand, whatever. Um, but um, individuals who are driven to succeed in their careers want a ladder to climb. So um, if you don't provide them a ladder, they may well go and find another ladder to climb. So the other thing that's really, I think, helpful with job descriptions and people being clear in their roles is letting them know what the career path looks like on farm, within the farm, whether they're employed or not. I think the more we can treat our next generation coming through as team members of a farm team, um, easy to say, harder to do, I get that. But I think the families that we see you know, having that business management framework and then career paths, clear expectations for the next generation coming through, I think, I think it's healthy and I think um, it does set up for a, a good structure on which then to consider something like succession. So do people find it difficult to provide job descriptions to their son or daughter? What do you think, Isabel? Oh, absolutely, they do. Mm. That's why it's not not done so often. It's um, it's terribly difficult for people who are who are mum and dad and and the incumbent owners and operators and managers for so long to actually take the mum and dad hat off and put the business owner hat on. And so you've got to get the business owner hat on to actually prepare job descriptions and what have you. And these people have usually run successful businesses without a, an organisational chart in sight. So to actually then have them have to think, well, this is important. Is this important? <laughs> and for them to think, can we do this? Usually they can't do that. I would say usually that's where the next generation's strengths come into play. It is usually the next generation who see the need for structure, they want the structure, they're used to the structure and they know how to put it in place. So a good process pulls in the skills of those who are in the mix and maybe brings in the skills of others externally to ensure that these requirements, basic requirements to business, are put in place. But it isn't easy. No. 
Absolutely not. That leads us really nicely into recruitment generally on family farms. Isabel, what's the state of play around recruitment generally for, for farms and how it's managed and how it might improve? Well, we have a shortage, obviously, of people who are skilled and unskilled and keen to be involved in agriculture. And so it means that we need to be employers of choice. And if we're going to be employers of choice, then we need to be subscribing to much of what Jeremy's outlining so that people can see that they have security, that they have um, diversity in their roles, that they have a job description. So I think recruitment generally in agriculture on family farms, the corporates probably have been doing it much better because they have to, the people on family farms have generally done this quite poorly and often have not taken into consideration some key people they already have in their businesses who are not related to them. And then the next thing, the next generation looks like they're circling the wagons and those people who have been pivotal and integral to this business's success sometimes choose to press eject and go elsewhere because they do not feel secure. So that recruitment process is terribly important and that's a key critical point when that next generation who are bloodline start coming in the door because that can threaten others who are incredibly important. So, Jeremy, a similar question for you. It's a simple one but with a, a lot to it. How, how do you attract and retain good people into a family farming business? I agree totally. There is a challenge that that, that um, there there is that shortage. But I also wouldn't mind challenging people that you know within twenty or thirty kilometres of your farm, there are farms that don't have challenges finding people. No, that's right. Um, so they are about. It's just they don't necessarily want to work for you. Um, a mentor of mine sort of made that comment that when I sort of said it's hard to get good people these days, he just said you get the people you deserve. And right. I think with those good practices that we've talked about in place, um, you know, for people to come and work on my farm, if I want them to come from Sydney, they've got to drive past about 120 other driveways. Why would they drive up my driveway and stay there? What's my value proposition? What makes me unique as an employer relative to the other driveways that they might drive up with and stay with? This is a really important structural um, and very strategic conversation that we need to be having is what what makes us unique as an employer and what is our value proposition to attract and then retain real talent there's no doubt in my mind that the talent is out there it is out there and there are lots of people wanting to work on farms that are professional um, so how do we need to make our farms look like and act like a business that's worth working for and if you take a, a bigger picture view beyond just this piece around um, recruitment and retention, Jeremy, a good organisational structure, does that have any impact on the overall value of a farming business? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think for a corporate farm, yeah. absolutely. Um, there is value in the goodwill of the business that runs the asset. But the way that farms have been valued is that when we sell our farm, we get the value of the dirt and we have a clearing sale. 
So no value has been put on all the things we're talking about, which is you know the goodwill of the professional entity that does the running of the farm. Whereas in accounting and law and finance and outside of agriculture and that surgeon, if they apply all this to their business over time, when they get to wanting to retire, the business that they have is valued as profit times a multiple of the goodwill. And the goodwill is the systems and the structure and the disciplines and the team and all of those things. And so if I run an average accounting firm and I'm doing $200,000 profit, I might get a two times multiple. So I might be able to sell my business for $400,000. But if I do a great job by all the things we're talking about, I still might have a $200,000 profit, but I could get a six times multiple and sell my business for a lot more. The challenge in agriculture, I think, because we haven't been valuing the, um, the asset that does the running of the farm, we haven't made priority to giving time and attention to getting this stuff right like that business or farm has to if they want to have something meaningful at the end of their career. Just to butt in there, I'd say that farming families just need to think of that, keep that in mind, but think of that slightly differently in that it's not about the value of the business you build. It's about the value of what that business delivers to you during its lifetime, whether that's single generation or multi-generations. The opportunities that lie for people as a result of choosing to own land lie in how we manage that farm business and what that can deliver to, for us. Can that retire the older generation can that provide opportunities for other, other people in the family who are not farmers? Can that actually improve our land and keep hold of our value, not just what the market gives to us? Can this business actually uh, maybe expand and grow so that there's potential for continuity? That's what the value is in running these businesses well when we're a farming family business which is slightly different to how a corporate may look at it, but same, same in many ways. Oh, we've got about five minutes left in our chat here and then we're going to go to some questions. So I encourage you, that I'm sure everyone here, I'm sure has a question that they would like to ask these guys. So please just jot them down, have them ready. If you're in Zoom, start popping them into the Q&A section and we'll come to you shortly um, and start throwing some of your questions into the mix. Um, Isabel, talk to us about timing. When ideally should succession planning be considered and, and we get into it? Well, obviously there are critical points uh, when key decisions need to be made, but starting to get into it is when we go into business because we're either going into business to build something up and sell it or we're going to go into business to build something up to create a legacy and an opportunity for the future generations, which is most family farmers. And so starting is actually about including it in our business management practices, the whole life of our incumbency. But there are critical times where decisions must be made and it, it, it's obvious when those times are. And for example, when management transition happens, that should not be left till we're in our 70s. That should be well and truly being worked on when we're in our 50s so that we're doing this in a timely fashion. And so succession is an ongoing test of endurance, I would say, 
and it is actually indicative of our lasting legacy. How your farm looks, that's one part, but actually our lasting legacy is in how well we do this because it has critical effects on our families and the people we love the most in the world. Well said. Um, Jeremy, the more flexibility, talking about timing, um, uh, the more flexibility you have around asset and, and capital allocation, obviously the better, the more room to move, the more you can do here. Absolutely. I think it's a lot easier to hand over a going concern that is performing and is self-sustaining and, and highly profitable um, in most years than it is to hand over the other. So absolutely. Um, and we, with all the things we've spoken about, having a business model that can be um, profitable in most years is really important. Um, and that's where I think coming back to the benchmarks, um, interrogating the business models that we're running that are really the engine room of making a lot of this happen is, is really important. Uh, we've got a few minutes. Are you guys right to run through some examples at whatever level of detail you think is appropriate around a couple of situations you might have had? Is that, a, is that cool? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeremy, to you then. Um, could you talk to us maybe about a, a client, as I say, at any level of detail that is appropriate, who maybe has uh, nailed this succession process? So two come to mind, David. Um, one in southern Queensland where there's um, five children and the youngest would be eight and they're sort of interspersed up to sort of 20, I guess. Um, all of those kids are involved in the annual planning meetings and the quarterly planning meetings and the youngest daughter takes the minutes and there's lots of quality conversation. I just think it's wonderful that as part of their management practice, they're talking about it annually and quarterly. I can only think that when some of those key moments in succession come along, because all of the kids have been included and involved early um, and that they're listening and learning the business stuff and part of the decision process, micro, medium and major, um, that their succession is likely to be more successful. Um, the other one, and I think what I'd love for us to see succession become is a problem solving exercise. Um, we're so lucky to even be able to have the conversation. A lot of us are running five, 10, 15, $30 million assets. How lucky are we really? You know, to even be able to sit down and think about passing something on to our children and giving them a start. Um, and if we could sit at the table and go, right, oh, well, we've got this asset. How can it give mum and dad what they want? How can it give my brothers and sisters what they want? And then how can I get what I want? Um, if we can think laterally and really creatively about how we can call on that asset to give everyone opportunity, I think that's when um, succession becomes really creative. So the second example, I think, is a family that's done that really well, and they started quite a while ago. But they have um, an ownership entity that leases land to the business. So the business had to, has to pay a commercial lease. And well before any of the children planned to come home, this farm um, focused on good 
systems, structure, strategy, financial disciplines, and all the things we've spoken about, they they built up a farm manager out of over years, and they've given the opportunity for that farm manager and his wife to buy equity in the business. So they're now 20% shareholders in the business that leases the farm from the family. Um, Tim and Cheryl, and they won't mind me using their name, they're in our caravan driving around as part of our Farm Owners Academy team six months of the year helping us help other family members. They're free from their farm. They've got a farm that's under management. Um, they're key players in the business, farm manager, CFO, have equity in the business. And now the next generation is thinking about how they might come home. But irrespective of whether they do or not, there is a going concern and a legacy created that is continuing to expand, that is under management, that absolutely has the ability to provide for the children and the parents, whether the children choose to come home or not. I think that's a good lateral and creative um, example of succession well achieved. The, the thing that came to mind as you were giving both, thank you for both those examples, they were fabulous, was it, it however you might measure or define culture, it felt like they are both underpinned by a, a good culture. Yeah, and I, that's a great point. And, and when we talk about strategic planning as one of those pillars, for me, the first part of the strategic plan is what are our core values? Um, if we can come up with a set of core values that we're all willing to be enrolled in and commit to, then minor, medium, major decisions can all be based on a common set of core values. So for me, that is a wonderful place to start. And your strategy and then those structures, but then the culture can be underpinned by those. I think it's a really important piece. Thank you. Uh, Isabel, um, do you have any... Well, you can give any example you like. I'd wondered if you might give us one of a family that had started the process and got the timing right, started early. But if you've got something else in mind, please go for it. Um, I think the, the focus in succession planning is being clear about what you want your outcomes to be. So in this example, the outcomes that were desired was that the parents wanted, in this case, to be independently funded from the family business so that they could graciously let go. They wanted that independent funding to do a few other things and for other people in the family, so there was a fair quantum of requirement there. So they needed a fair lead time for this business to deliver that. They also had four children and three were choosing to be farmers and one wasn't. And they had a principle of equality, which a lot of farmers don't. They talk about fair versus equal. But in this case, they, they did choose a principle of equality and they started early in the hope to deliver that. That's what they were aiming for. And they took their, their sons on this journey. And I think the thing that ultimately made that so successful was that they, they started early, they got clear about what they had, they started to measure what they needed to achieve the collective goals of the family, and they wanted to get to a position where when mum and dad were not in this business, the, the family members who were farmers could choose to exit. So in other words, trade and operate independently. They didn't want them to be in a situation where they must stay together forever. They could choose to, but they wanted them to have that ultimate choice. 
And so there were some metrics around where they needed to get to to do that. And it was amazing to see how quickly they were able to achieve that because that younger generation came in with all the energy. They were very clear and focused about what they needed to do and they knew what their options would be. And their exit strategy, their exit agreement was predetermined and we did it like traffic lights. So there's a few things that need to be achieved to not detrimentally affect others by your choice to exit. And you can't all exit at once. So they had traffic light system. And when all the lights were green, that was an exit opportunity. And if those lights were not green, that was not an exit opportunity. So they were bound in. They could go, but they wouldn't be able to go with their capital. And they had an agreement around if someone was choosing to exit because of health or something like that, they had an agreement and some insurance in place for that. But ultimately they were saying, we're all going to lock in for these outcomes that we all want and we're all, we've all got the skin in here to do it and if we don't then we pay a price because we're choosing to exit when the green lights are not on. So I think that mum and dad ended up with their funding and dad actually died early before this was all achieved and thank goodness all the work had been done while he was still there. He fell out of the sky. So, and that meant that for that mother who was left on her own, it, it was clear It was clear what, what they were on and what they were doing and she just kept the momentum going and so did that next generation and they, got, they have gotten to the point now over a long period of time, the best part of 20 years, they are actually there. They've... They've, they've achieved everything they aim to and in this case one son who was a farmer did choose to exit and two have remained together. So that's their choice. They were set up to make choices and I think then that set them up in turn for their... Now they're going through the process with their own children. So I would say that's been a successful story and they the success is... They enjoy each other. They love each other. They have Christmases together. There's none of that, you know, you mightn't love each other. You might love each other a bit differently, but the fact that you can actually enjoy each other and believe in family and be there for each other and have each other's backs is what really has made that successful. Thank you. A great example. Uh, to sum up, just even if it's just a list, uh, Isabel, uh, give us a couple of the key things, reiterate a couple of the key things that the top 10% of businesses are doing differently by way of succession. Just just to leave that last key message. They're acknowledging that it is part of good business management, practice of good business management, and they're, they're really starting to work on that early, even at even if they are small scale. They're accepting that structure is their friend, it's not their enemy. And they are preparing themselves personally by undertaking self-development work, not just learning how to grow good crops and run their sheep effectively. It's about me as a person being my best person so that I can lead this in that area of people management in my business, not just that operational stuff. Because the thing we tend to forget is the people, when we're talking about succession, are not somebody else's son and daughter necessarily. They're ours. They're the people we love the most in the world and so we must 
do our own work to ensure that we can be at our best to, to support this and lead this process well. And Jeremy, same question for you, probably more from the business development build outside of things, 30 seconds or less. Just list a couple of those key take-home messages. What are the top 10% of businesses who are doing this well, what are they doing? Certainly the strategic planning, um, financial literacy, um, and then investing in their own development around leadership and communication. Um, but for me, the one thing that I'd like to round out with is, in addition to what Isabel's just sort of concluded with, is find a way to find to put relationships first. If the business is just a vehicle to create the legacy and to give opportunity for everyone, but often we put the patch of dirt or the genetics or whatever as the main thing. I think relationships are the main thing and we need to remember that. And then doing that deeper work and finding a way to find respect for everyone involved and coming from a place of love and respect mm. is the key for me. Fabulous. Thank you. What a great spot to finish this part of it. Um, we really appreciate your time and expertise, guys. Thank you. Uh, now's your chance to ask any questions. We've got Andrew with a microphone here ready to go. Uh, if you're, so pop your hand up and um, we can ask away. If you're online and have a question, you know the drill. Jump into the uh, Q&A section of Zoom and pop your question in there and where you're from and who you are, and we'll get those questions through to our panellists. So we've got a few minutes before we head to lunch. Has anyone got, well, everyone has a question. Who is willing to ask their question is a better way for me to put it because I know you've all got questions. Who'd like to ask a question? No, Andrew, we'll go over to Zoom then while everyone has a think about what they might ask. So Nick's got one here. Um, how do you inspire change of mindset to enable effective communication from middle management perspective to the top? From middle management to the top. So how do you inspire change of mindset to enable effective communication from middle management to more senior people? Yeah, yep, great question. Um, the mindset piece and um, people that come into our program are probably coming in wanting their the benchmarks and wanting the budget. But the key thing that people take away from it, I think, is the mindset piece. And the first part of the learning journey that we take our members through is around the core principles that are key for a winning mindset. Um, so I think it's really important. Um, so... There's, there's a host of principles that we teach around mindset. And I think to answer that question, it's just exposing all members of the family to learn those and go through the learning process so that they can check in on how they have been playing and consider a different way. Um, you know, I think learning business and the mindset piece together as a family and going through this business and personal improvement journey as a family is wonderful. I can go away and work on my mindset. I can go away and do a business degree and then come back and try and impact and change my family. But I think what's powerful is, is just putting yourself out there as a family and being open to um, learning 
some key principles around mindset that you can start having dialogue around and start trying on. Um, what got me here won't get me there. And sometimes the first thing that I need to do is to open up to a different way of thinking and a different way of playing if I want to get a different result. So I hope that touches on that for you. Isabel, did you have anything to add? I suppose I was thinking about what that question was asking and if I was thinking about a corporate context, I might think the person who asked that question is feeling that they are not heard by those above and I think maybe then that's having the courage to have that conversation with those above. Usually those above didn't get there because they're silly. And so I think it's actually about stepping into our own courage and thinking about how we might express ourselves without being threatening or belittling and being respectful and kind. I think sometimes that's maybe the approach to answer that question. And if we were in a family setting and not a corporate setting, it might be the incoming generation wanting to open up a change in mindset in the incumbent generation and maybe they're feeling like the older generation are a bit stuck in their ways and and not again not listening to them not being heard so again when there is no magic wand for that but I think it's really about understanding what might be going on for that older generation they may be feeling like they are vulnerable because they're getting older. They might be feeling like they're fearful that if they don't make the absolutely the right decisions, all their life's work and the life work of the generations before them might go asunder. So it's understanding those fears, speaking to those fears with empathy, and I think that's the starting point to answer that question. Great comment. Thank you. Andrew, is there another one? Yeah, uh, another one here from Jeff. Just around, Jeremy, you mentioned about strategy planning and structure. Um, farmers aren't typically set up with those kind of skills or abilities to sort of really organise what that framework would look like. What would be some steps that you would suggest from farmers or, you know, I guess who's out there to sort of help with this, this type of work? Or is, it, or is it, do you think you try and do it internally? Um, yeah, it's a great question because there are lots of different strategic planning methods and models. The one that we advocate um, is a three-page plan and there's just eight questions that we need to answer within that. I might even share that as a, a template um, you know, in what might go out from this event afterwards if we can. Um, but simply to become clear on your core values and where you want to be 20 years from now, then 10 years from now, and then three years from now, and getting those milestones in place, and then working that back to an actionable annual plan. Um, absolutely is a process to help people to achieve that, but um, ultimately a, an assessment of where we're currently at, and then looking out into the future and getting on paper, what are the goals and aspirations of the individuals at those key milestones and working back is fundamentally what strategic planning is about. Where you can get that, there, there are some programs in our industry that, that, that teach this really well, and I'm happy, again, to sort of share. We've got one program called Take Control that I think does this really well and supports farmers to sort of learn how and then apply it to their situation um, really well. So I can share details of that. Hmm, that'd be much appreciated. Thank you for that. Uh, last call, anyone in the room? Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, really thought-provoking stuff. Just touching back on that value proposition for staff and in terms of how do we stop, you know, 
the culture where we sort of have maybe, I'm sure there's no people in this room, but driving past our driveways and we're just blaming that there's no one out there, sort of to, you know, what are the best people that you guys work with doing in that sort of value proposition space in terms of to get a clear direction for staff retention and also encourage them that there is a future in the industry? Isabel, you know. That's a difficult question. <laughs> um, you might want to answer yeah. that. Um, so I think those four pillars, I would start there because creating a professional environment is a great place to start. Um, coming up with a value proposition um, is, for me, simply thinking about what are the five or six ways we can be unique and different to other employers you know, I think about how hard we want our team to work at seeding and, you know, landmarking and harvest and those things. Why not be the farm that gives your team six weeks holiday, not four? And that could be one of the ways in which you're different. Um, we talk all about paying people enough to take money off the table and then you can expect a lot from them. Um, just coming up with some bullet points that define that. But in that strategic planning process, having a set of core values that are enrolling and inspiring and then writing your ad to, tailored to your values and your point of difference, but then being really creative and who you get that out to and how you get it out into the market and being really creative in how proactive your recruitment campaign is um, then gives you the best chance of attracting the best talent. Um, but all the things we've spoken about, once they're implemented, I think then there's the consistency of communication, there's the, the core values, there's those frameworks that give you the best chance of keeping people long-term. Once you've got all that in place, then it's about actually making catching people doing things right, not making them wrong. So often we don't acknowledge the good stuff that our people are doing and, you know, we let them know when they've made a mistake. Um, I think the opposite needs to be how we turn up and lead our people. We've got to catch them doing things right um, more often than, than the other. I hope that's okay. Sorry, I thought you were asking us to give you um, a, a referral to a, someone who does HR and recruitment. So I, that's why I was looking at you with 10 heads. Um, so I, I would also say that just in absolutely what Jeremy's saying, however, I do think that I have seen some people behave appallingly in family meetings. And then if you extrapolate that out and think, well, if you behave this badly in this setting, how are you behaving out there in the paddock or in the shed or on the farm? I truly believe we have got to hold ourselves to a high standard and to be kind and respectful to all human beings. And I think if we can just start there, we will make a significant impact on how people feel about being part of our team. Thank you. Trumphy's got another one. Um, awesome, Prezzo. Uh, and just under the theme about good business management, um, can you talk to me a bit about the challenge we often see where there's this significant disjoint between when the work is done and when the asset's transferred and this conundrum that we've got that asset growth is, is huge or has been huge certainly in recent years, how under your theme of better, a better business management, a more proactive approach, 
that that could be dealt with in a more constructive way where all the work's not done in one era and then the assets transferred in another era and that big disjoint creates a lot of problem in succession. Can you just tell us about how that could be handled better? Well, I think that's about um, what the reward for the job is, quite separate to the inheritance. So sometimes we don't reward well for what the job is and the contribution has been and so therefore there's a legacy expectation that there will be a greater inheritance and so that's then when we get ourselves into trouble. So I think at the outset of a person's time in the job there does need to be clarity then about the reward for the job that is done and the contribution made, and separate to that inheritance. I think when that is not clear at the start, then that's when we end up in problems, and usually those problems come when someone dies and a will gets read and someone's assumption that they are entitled to more maybe doesn't play out, and it, certainly if it goes to court it won't play out. So I think um, I think that's, that's part of good business management and it's really the responsibility of those who own and operate and own assets. Sadly, you know, there's wonderful things that comes with owning assets but with that comes responsibility and a responsibility to be clear early, upfront and early, is important and I think that's actually the only way to navigate our way through that effectively, Jason. Thanks for the question. Uh, we better up stumps there. A big thank you to uh, Isabel and Jeremy for providing so much value and expertise. We really appreciate your time. If you could join me with thanking these guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.